down to each one of us is do we trust God in his perfect plans to play the part that we're supposed to play and what I've learned is that in this generation most people don't trust that we want to be who we want to be we want to do what we want to do we want to accomplish what we think we're supposed to accomplish and we often don't think God whatever you want to do I'm game for that God has great plans for your life. They won't always be laid out for you in step-by-step instructions. And many times they'll seem to be taking you to places that make no sense. But God is always doing what's best in your life. Pastor Daniel today will challenge you though to trust even when you can't understand. It won't be easy, but if you're willing to step forward in faith, God will be by your side to show you the great things he has for you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 24 with part one of his message, Farewell, Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, and as you open there, you will realize that this is the absolute last chapter in the book of Joshua, which means that assuming that I do not get long-winded, more than usual. At any point, we're going to be closing out the book of Joshua this evening. And the beauty of the book of Joshua, of course, is once again, as you study the scriptures, what you'll find is that God is faithful. The book of Joshua is all about God ultimately fulfilling the promises that he gave to Abram. And we see it in fulfillment now in the life of the generation who Joshua led. Now, if you think about that, you realize that what that means is that God and the fulfilling of his promises isn't on our timetable. And I think that's something that's very challenging for all of us. God made promises to Abram and literally we're four or 500 years later and now those promises are coming into fulfillment. And what that really reminds us, of course, is that in God's perfect plans with all that God is doing, we might not get to play the part that we'd like to play in the story of his redemption. I mean, you could imagine for the generation that wandered in the wilderness and died, they'd be like, oh man, I was really hoping to go into the promised land. But it wasn't God's will for that generation to be in that spot. And really what it boils down to each one of us is, do we trust God in his perfect plans to play the part that we're supposed to play? And what I've learned is that in this generation, most people don't trust that. We want to be who we want to be. We want to do what we want to do. We want to accomplish what we think we're supposed to accomplish. And we often don't think, God, whatever you want to do, I'm game for that. But the key is, is you have to remember that for God, it says in the scriptures, and speaking poetically, not scientifically necessarily, that for God, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. That's a poetic way of saying is God's timing is different than ours. God experiences time differently than we do. And so the the reality for each one of us is to say, God, in the whole scope of what you're doing in all of humanity, can I be the best version of the part that you want me to play by your spirit? 
And if we're willing to be and do that, then we will be faithful to the calling that God has on our lives. You know, I was talking with someone recently about some of what God has laid on our hearts as a church about bringing people in the name of Jesus into some of the least, most restricted countries in the world. And someone was saying, well, how is that going to work? And I said, well, right now there's no bridges in. So maybe our job is to actually be underwater putting the support structure that in a future generation, someone could build the bridge to go in. And I'm like, but if we don't go underwater and build the support structure that that bridge can be built on, then at some point someone's got to go under there and do it. So maybe that's our job. Maybe we're never going to see the fulfillment of the vision the way we want to, but that's okay as long as we play the part we're supposed to play. And listen, that's not the most, you know, we often don't like speaking those ways because we want to accomplish what we want to accomplish. But when you read the scriptures, you realize that in each generation, God was doing something. You know, and ultimately you think that there's thousands of years of God working in the midst of the Jewish people before God sent his son, Jesus. So that's why John the Baptist could say something amazing, like the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than every prophet who came before. Why? Because in that generation in which Jesus walked among the earth and in our generation, we're in privileged position. Whereas there were people who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and didn't even know what his name was. And so for Joshua and for this generation that is now settled into the promised land, now Joshua's just tying up all the remaining loose ends here. So look at what it says in Joshua 24, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac, verse 4, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. And to Jacob and his children, they went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out and then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea and they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt when you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Verse 8, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan and they fought with you but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land and I just destroyed them from before you. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel. And I sent and I called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. And so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and... 
you dwell in them, you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. Now, what's really beautiful here is Joshua's last meeting with the people take place at a place called Shechem. And Shechem really has a a huge history in the scriptures. Of course, it was just a few miles north and a little to the west of Shiloh, which was where the previous meeting that Joshua had with everybody. And really what you find is that in Shechem, you know, Abraham responded and built an altar to God there in Genesis chapter 12. Jacob stopped at Shechem on his return and buried the idols of his family that brought with them in Genesis chapter 35. The Israelites set up an altar there in Joshua chapter 8. So it's got a rich history. And really what Joshua does is he invites them back and he recounts pretty much the entire story of their history from about the book of Genesis chapter 11 all the way to the present day. But what was amazing is, I mean, now, if you've been studying with us here at Crossroads, it's taken us about seven years to cover that ground. And Joshua was able to do it in about 12 verses. So there's a couple things for us to see here. Now, literally, he hits all the major situations. But really what this is, and scholars make a strong case of this, that really what you see here in Joshua chapter 24 is what you would call the usual parts of a covenant renewal. If you read extra biblical literature from this time period, it was very common for there to be a short preamble, then a long historical prologue, And then the stipulations between the covenant maker and the people who are supposed to keep the covenant. And then a writing of the agreement. And that's really exactly what this chapter is. Now the reason I bring this up is because God has an amazing way of taking things that are common and infusing it with brand new meaning. So the fact that this covenant renewal mirrors other covenant renewals that you can find at this point in history doesn't devalue it. What it finds is that God uses the very basic things that everyone is used to. And then he infuses it with fresh meaning. Let me give you an example. It was very common in Jewish culture to celebrate the Passover. The Passover Seder where they had the cups of wine and the bread and the matzah and all these different things. But Jesus on what we call the Maundy Thursday or the Last Supper. There's all these different words that the church is used for it. Where he took the bread. He said, this bread is my body. He took that cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. For everybody who had done it for thousands of years, they thought about the Passover lamb. Jesus was like, well, actually, that Passover lamb, that actually speaks of me. You know, the matzah, that speaks of me too. Right? And even the thing, something like baptism, it was very common in Jewish culture and in other cultures at that time when somebody was considered ceremonially unclean where they had done, where they touched a dead body, there was a flow of blood, they would have to bathe before they were readmitted into the life of the children of Israel. Now some people make a whole big deal about it. It's just like, I mean, if somebody was bloody, you'd hope they'd wash before they come to your dinner table too. Amen? So people get all freaked out about it, but it was like the basic health code, which was unique in that culture. But Jesus... When John the Baptist shows up and he begins baptizing for, you know, repentance sake, and then Jesus and his disciples, the disciples did the baptizing, you know, he was taking something that was common and infusing it with greater meaning. And in the same way, this covenant renewal is the same thing. Although this was a common covenant renewal, a suzerain treaty would be the way that they would call it more academically. He took the same stipulations and he just applied it to their lives. But it means something greater. So they're all together there at Shechem. And then Joshua begins to rehearse 
all the blessings of what God has done. A historical prologue. And really what you find in this is that he walks through the patriarchs. He walks through the exodus. He walks through the victories on the east side of the Jordan. And now, of course, on the west side of the Jordan. And he walks through each one of them. And the emphasis is on what God has done. Right? The emphasis is not on what they did. It's what God has done. And here's a great question for you. Can you tell in a few paragraphs the story of God's redemptive history from the Bible? Can you say God did this, and then God did this, and then God did and do it briefly? Like, can you get all the tops of the waves walking you from creation all through fall, through all that went on, through redemption, and then what God's going to do? That's how you know you know the scriptures, when you can take it and you can explain it in a few sentences. Like, when I was studying this, I was really taken by how simply and succinctly what took us seven years to study was expressed. And for the people who were there, they knew these stories. Why? Because it tells the faithfulness of God, what God has done. And my encouragement to you would be able to take these 12 verses and think about them. And say, hey, this happened, and this happened, and and God did this, and God did this. And all the way through the finished work of Jesus in the New Testament. What was God up to? Do you have the grand scope of Scripture? You know, I love teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. But the thing is, is when it takes you seven years to do something that Joshua could do in 12 verses, sometimes you miss the whole story in the midst of getting into the nitty gritty. So what I would say is get into the nitty gritty, but also see it from cover to cover. Does that make sense? Like I always use the example to people that there's lots of ways to study the Bible. You could take the Bible. If you want to get across the country, you take a plane. You travel about 30,000 feet. You don't see everything, but you see the big stuff. Right Now, if you want to get a little bit of a deeper dive, you can drive across the country. Depending on how fast you drive and how many things you want to see, that could take you a week to months, depending on how much you want to see. And then, of course, if you really want to see the country, you can go on a bicycle. Take you even longer, right? And if you're really feeling saucy, you could walk through the entire country, right? Now... Each way you're seeing the country, but you're seeing them from a different vantage point. So I would encourage you, when was the last time you read the Bible from cover to cover? You realize if you read three chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament, every single day for 365 days, you're going to read the entire Bible. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's really not a lot. And I can tell you that because I've done it many times. If you're really feeling extra spiritual, read three chapters in the Old, two in the New Testament. You'll get through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. Five chapters. You can read, break them up, do Old Testament in the morning or New Testament in the morning, Old Testament at night. Do it for a year. You're going to get there. That's one, you know, you want to be able to see the grand scope of all that God has done. And in the same way, take some time to soak in a book. When was the last time you just said, hey, I'm going to just soak in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm going to take one month per chapter. I'm going to memorize each chapter as I go. You're going to see that part of the scripture differently Not seeing it at 30,000 feet, but seeing it at street level and internalizing it. And the key is that we want to be able to see the whole story of what God has done. And so as we go through this, it's amazing. And I'm just going to pull, I mean, literally it took me seven years to preach through all this. So we do want you to go home to see your families at some point today. So I I don't want to belabor going back over all of it. But a few things that I think is fascinating. First, I want you to notice in verse 2, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And they, notice that, they served what? 
other gods. Now, here's the thing. Abraham was chosen by sheer grace and not because he had some sort of a pedigree or he had a lineage that honored the God of the Bible. And I want to just say this because oftentimes people have this mistaken idea that because I don't know Jesus, I can never follow Jesus. Here's the thing. Everybody comes from somewhere, but your history doesn't need to determine your future, right? So if you've never before served the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sins, if you've never before served him before, he doesn't hold that against you. It's time for you to serve him now. And I'll be honest with you, I was one of those people who I grew up, I was serving other gods. And when Jesus called me to himself and I responded to that, it doesn't matter where you've been. Jesus doesn't like, well, yeah, you know, you've been there. You're not allowed to be part of my family. He said, no, I know where you've been. I came to get you. And I want to make you part of my family. So it's always important to remember that Abraham, the great father of the faith, grew up worshiping idols. At least his family did. The influence of his family was not something that was godly, as we say. It wasn't holy. It wasn't worshiping the creator and sustainer God, who we would know. But that didn't matter to God because God called him. Right? Notice verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and I let him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. And I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess it. To Jacob and the children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt afterward when I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. So you notice he goes through Genesis. He goes through the patriarchs. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they end up in Egypt like at the end of the book of Genesis and then I raise up Moses and Aaron that's the beginning of the book of Exodus and then I deliver them on out so what you find is that there's a huge story there's a redemptive story that's going on here but once again you know people say this all the time and I tend to agree with it that your testimony is a great thing for you to share now here's the thing I agree because God's story in your life is important to share. But here's the thing. Most of us, when we share a testimony, we just brag about how sinful we were. It's all about us and our garbage and not about who God is and what he's done. Does that make sense? So I always tell people, because I want you all to know how to share your testimony. If somebody asks for your story, be like Joshua, make it brief, okay? Everyone doesn't want to know what you ate for breakfast for every single day and they want the highlights. But here's the thing. Use a lot of scripture and tell them what God has done in your life, not all the bad things you did. Because you know what it is, you're in a testimony and someone's down there going on and on, you know, and, you know, I, I would close down every bar and I'd bring home every woman and the whole thing. And it was like, and, and some people are like, oh man, I don't have a good testimony like that guy. No, you just weren't as nasty as they were, you know? And, and then by the time it's over, then someone else goes like, well, well, you know, so-and-so like, man, I opened up every bar. I didn't even go home, you know? And then before you know it, it's all this flesh talking and you're like, okay, so really all we're doing is glorying in the horror show of our past. And this testimony is about what God has done. And listen, what God has done in your life is what God has done in your life. And don't be afraid to tell someone what God has done in your life. Because you know what's funny? People can argue about the Bible, and, and they do, but nobody can really argue about what God has done in your life. Now, I'm not saying that your testimony is better than the Bible. It's not. The Bible is God's word. But the story of what God, I remember I, I was talking to a family member about this and he was, and he was really, you know, he was well read at being a skeptic, but I was better read, but that's a different discussion, you know? And so he was giving me all of his things of all of his reasons why he didn't believe it. And then I remember saying, well, I'm like, well, I can tell you that God just did this last week. And he's like, well, that's rather subjective. I'm like, well, what are you going to say about what God did last week? And I gave him all these things and he's like, well, 
I don't know what to say about that. I'm like, we should think about that. And it was funny though, because it's like he knew he couldn't argue the story of what God had just did. So I love the fact that if you read the scriptures, the number of times in the Bible that you get the story of God calling Abram, ultimately the children of Israel going to Egypt and God delivering from a mighty hand, that gets rehearsed in almost every single book of your Bible. So over and over and over again, the story of God's redemption in the history of the children of Israel is used as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Now here's the thing. For you and I as followers of Jesus, we have an even better story of God's faithfulness. Because you and I live on the other side of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when you think about what's going to happen next, you have to remember that it is a fixed historical fact that God sent Jesus and he lived perfectly. And he always did those things which pleased his father. And Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. It was a Roman cross, but he was put there by the Jewish people in cahoots with the Romans. And death could not hold him because he didn't do anything deserving of death. And he was resurrected from the grave. And not only was he resurrected from the grave, Jesus ascended bodily into heaven. And a whole bunch of people saw it. I wish there were cell phone cameras when that happened. I always imagine, can you imagine when Jesus was ascending into heaven, Peter and John, and they were like pulling the thing out. Whoa, whoa, look at the Lord. Where's he going? Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Then the angels show up. The angels like, hey, so uh, men of Galilee, why are you staring at the sky right now? Jesus is going to come back the same way he went. And, and you can imagine like Peter be like, no way. O-M-G-O-S-H. You know, like you can just imagine these guys with these cell phone cameras. And then you can imagine them posting on YouTube. Be like, that's fake. That's, you know, computer animation. We don't believe that thing. But like, no, no, we were there. But listen, if you ever doubt if God is going to be faithful to you in the future, what he's done in the past, the cross shows God's seriousness about redeeming humanity, about redeeming you. And if God is willing to go to those lengths to redeem you, then what are you worried about about the future? Why are you scared? Because God has already taken care of all the big stuff. Jesus is The Israelites had been through a lot in their journey toward God's promised land. They'd come from slavery, spent time wandering in the wilderness, and fought many battles to acquire what God had for them. Their leader now, in his own final days, wanted them to remember their testimony. Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to share your own testimony of what God has done and to remember how valuable you are to Him. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. 
and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel concludes this study in the book of Joshua. The people of Israel had not only entered areas of the land that were foreign to them, they also had adopted some of the practices of the people living there. They'd started to plant seeds of sin that could easily grow and separate them from God. Joshua will be urging the people to rid their lives of these idols immediately and forever. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Homestead. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.